This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. shall answer um undine welcome to light the beacons lotro podcast focusing on the fascinating mmo rpg lord of the rings online as well as related topics in books movies gaming and the lore of j rarrar tokian this is episode number 25 and i'm your host brag of the lonely mountain enemy of the heirs and dwarf of ill repute we are coming to you live from temporary Light the Beacons Middle Earthwide Headquarters in the beautiful gardens of Barakthazan, just west of Jazzergund. Let's take a look around and see what we can see, shall we? Uh, some of you may know this is uh, one of the lightest areas in Moria. As I look up at the ceiling, I can see actual sun flowing down through various contrivances that we've put in the roof here uh, so that we have a flowering garden. There's a large dwarven statue in front of me. Uh, Gem and holding a rather large hammer at his side. Uh, since we are in Durin's way, I'm guessing that is a statue of Durin. Being a dwarf, I should recognize it, but over the edges, the uh, let's say the the details surrounding some of the features have been obscured through the through the eons. I can see uh, various fountains, water flowing. There's kind of a green and aqua patina that's coloring the giant dwarven statue faces staring at me. A uh, number of pillars and uh, some beautiful trees, some flowers, some strange-looking flowers f that are uh, blossoming. Uh, I can see some orange crystals highlighting some of the details here and there in the uh, center platform of the room. I remember this uh, room more than anything else, probably for the, oh, I don't know, maybe 100... Uh, adjusting the mirror runs I used to do from the 21st hallway to here and back. Um, I remember it as a, a quick source of XP as well as uh, potions, uh, pots of all kinds in the day. And I, I would start every time I logged in, I would start in the 21st hall. I would run to the Rack Bazan, adjust the mirror and, and make the run back um, in order to clean up what was probably the easiest and quickest mirror quest that existed in Moria, at least at that time. So, in any event, um, I, why am I here today? Well, I'm trying to send some warm, warm vibes to all those out there that might be buried in snow in the east coast of some place called the United States of America. Never heard of it myself, but I've heard it's nasty right now. Um, you know, figured get some warm sunshine on the face. Wouldn't be too bad. I'm, you know, I've been in Moria for quite a few months now and uh, it does tend to take its toll. Grime is looking even paler than usual which means his skin is nearly transparent and luminous at this point. It scares the bejesus out of me when I catch him lurking around in the dark reaches of the night. 
you know, the guy's getting even creepier the more time he spends underground, if that's at all possible, kind of turning into a golem-like creature. The other day, he walked up, fell to my knees, hugged my leg, and whispered, You smell different when you're sleeping. <laughs> yeah, let's get on to more pleasant subjects and light our second beacon. Is it me or the beacons just punchier this year? They got a little more, you know, I've upgraded. They're just, they're kind of sounding out there, echoing down the corridors. Just makes me want to light beacons. All right, that's enough. All right, one more. That's it. All right, moving on. Ilanoch. Uh, Let's review our agenda this week. First, it's time for CRAP, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. First of all, I do have an apology to make this week. Listen, I talked, you know, you viewers are out there. You know, you know, you know what I was talking about last week. I was talking about the fact that you weren't viewers, but also about the validity of the grading of predictions by some other podcasts that are out there. And I understand that some of you may have thought I was making some kind of statement casting aspersions some way on some of my erstwhile colleagues. So to that, I just wanted to say, well done, very perceptive. Now, moving on, uh, there were some viewer comments. Uh, there was a big shout-out to, uh, I owe a big shout-out to Amavaset uh, this week, who uh, I was listening to the last episode of MMO Reporter, and uh, Amavaset uh, spoke up in the chat room and defended the Light the Beacons copyright on the Bjorning's Got Back uh, soundtrack song. I appreciate you looking out for me, brother. Everyone's trying to plagiarize from, George, from dwarves just because we are vertically challenged and we typically have very poor lawyers. So I did catch that. It was kind of quick, but I did catch it. I appreciate the, the, uh, uh, the defense there. Uh, Tommy York, friend of the show, wrote in and said... Uh, uh, I was mentioning last week that I'd been uh, messing around in Durndingle trying to earn some credits towards uh, uh, one of the Hewhorn tree pets that could follow you around. And Tommy Ork asked the, the uh, rhetorical question, if a tree pet follows Bragg and it falls down while Bragg has his wits muddled, does it make a sound? And then he uh, thanked the Valar for the disabled cosmetic pet option. I guess he's not a fan of uh, tunes that have Hewhorns following them around in game. But he also wished me a good 2015, uh, looking forward to content for the year. Yeah, um, well, there's not going to be much of that, but I'll do what I can. Uh, secondly, Draculetta wrote in. Um, I remember on the podcast last week, I was talking about The Hobbit, the, last, the Battle of Five Armies movie, The Hobbit, where the werewormes, uh, the werewormes made an appearance by busting out of the... Uh, you know, the surrounding valleys in order to give access to Azog's armies into the battle arena. And, uh, you know, I, I was not sure I had heard any reference to creatures of some such types in the books themselves from the text. Well, I should have known Jackson wouldn't have pulled something completely out of context without any reference from the text whatsoever. So Draculetta reminded me that wereworms were briefly mentioned in The Hobbit. And here's the quote from Bilbo Baggins. Tell me what you want done, and I will try it. If I have to walk from here to the east of east and fight the wild wereworms in the last desert. And I believe that is a conversation that Bilbo has with Gandalf um, at, the beginning of the, uh, at the beginning of the book when they're talking about his potential journey. And so there is a mention of wereworms there. And I always had assumed, reading from that, that 
that the word wereworms was used in the context of referring to some of the great dragons of the age or the lesser dragons, which would be uh, considered perhaps worms. Sometimes in fantasy as well as um, you know, in various texts, uh, worms, great worms can be uh, a reference to dragons in my experience. So I always thought of those as perhaps uh, you know, lesser dragons of the eastern desert realm. Uh, but certainly it's not explained upon, and one could extrapolate the creatures that Jackson uh, found. Um, I, I seem to think that uh, this is a little bit of a ripoff from Dune, or maybe an homage, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, the great worms of the deserts of Dune, um, you know, which uh, the creatures from the movie very much resembled. So, Drac, thanks for writing in with the reference. I appreciate that. So... In this week's episode, where we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game the past few weeks. I'm going to talk about some various news and tidbits I've seen coming from some other podcasts that are out there recently. Uh, we're going to have another segment on our continuing series of combat mechanics where we're going to talk about bleeds and dots. And if there's any time left over, I'm going to... Uh, throw Grima uh, into a pond. That's uh, sure. Why not? So, given that, a lot to talk about. Let's move on to our third beacon. Nardal. This week in gaming and other Tokyan news. So, have I been playing any other games out there? Well, a little bit. Um, I've been getting into, I'm not normally one for some of the sports games that are out there on the marketplace, but uh, do have a young hobbit in the household who got Madden 25 and FIFA Soccer uh, for the PS3 over the uh, Yule holiday. So I have been playing those a bit. You know, what I, what I like about those games, um, something that any video game can take a lesson from, is it's easy to jump in and start playing immediately, even if you don't understand all the complexities of the various systems that are available to you. Uh, you know, you can have a credible and fun game with very little knowledge right away, and then as you get used to those controls, you can kind of expand your mastery and get to uh, you know another level over time. So I think the Madden games do that well. You know, they have an option where you can launch a game immediately, and within you know 30 seconds of it being loaded and updated, you can be in a game playing, trying to figure it out, and kind of laughing at yourself. So uh, so I've been spending a little bit of time doing that. Uh, I did download another Humble Bundle a couple weeks ago, and uh, various games in that bundle that I thought might be intriguing, some puzzle games that I like, some atmospheric exploration games that look interesting. I have not uh, gotten the chance to open any of those up, so as I sample some of those, I will let you know. Um, based on another recommendation for 2014, I downloaded what appears to be the premier tablet MMO on the marketplace, which is a game called King's Road, which is, of course, free to play, but with a cash shop. Now, I have fairly low expectations for this game, um, just based on the platform that it is on. But I really downloaded it out of curiosity to see how much depth and how much complexity they could build into a tablet interface game and how would they um, how would they make some of the controls in terms of the user interface? How in depth would it be, and and you know really how engaging could something of that be? So, it's more of a scientific kind of curiosity than a desire to play the game itself. 
But I intend to try to monkey around with it in the coming weeks. And if I get some impressions, um, you know, if I think this is the way tablet MMO marketplace is moving or if it's a realistic market to be in for that type of game, I'll let you know. I'm skeptical right now, but um, proof is in the pudding. So we'll see what they've been able to do. Uh, so what's been going on in Lotro for me? Well, my main brag has been Dern dingling around a little bit more. And I was able to attend. Uh, I was able to acquire enough of the uh, Fangorn tokens to trade in for one of the Huorn pets. And I uh, debated back and forth between the three that were available. It was really for me between the black Huorn with honeycomb and the snowy tree. And in the end, uh, I thought the little tottering snowy tree was uh, rather amusing looking. So I know there's some of you out there shaking your heads and rolling your eyes. Yeah, I probably would too. It does look a little bit ridiculous, but it is kind of fun now and then. And uh, I named him Snowbeard, of course, to take after Treebeard, at least for now until I think of something better. Uh, so now that Bragg's got a little tree following him around, a free campfire uh, whenever he needs it. It's kind of handy. Uh, I also ran a 12-man Helm's Dyke uh, epic battle. Uh, got some new side quests on there that I hadn't gone before, and uh, so that was some new points to invest in trees. And uh, I believe I have now maxed out on the amount of points that you can invest in the trees at this stage, I believe. Um, I thought I heard that that might open up soon and they might allow additional points to be invested in the trees over time. Um, so I can't remember what I heard that. It might be actually on Bullroar already for the next update. But in any event... Uh, after I did that, and after I ran a Helm's Dyke solo entrance, uh, solo instance where I achieved some better medals than I had in the past, I long last achieved the 200 big battle uh, points required, class trait points or battle trait points required, in order to earn the last of my class trait points. So 74 class trait points is the max in the game right now, and Bragg now owns that based on getting the final point out of the big battle traits. Um, so what's kind of annoying at this stage I've noticed, and maybe others have too, is that unless you've saved one up, if you get one class trade point, typically you're investing it in something in your main tree that you are less interested in to begin with because you need two points to go into another tree to get something that's a little more interesting. So at this point, uh, uh, my choices are to um, refund all my points and retrade from scratch to see if there's something more interesting I might be able to obtain in another tree or to live with it like it is, which is probably more likely at this stage. You know, if there was a really a new skill that I could obtain with two points in a neighboring tree that I thought would be impactful, I'd get it. But I think I'd just be adding maybe one tier onto, you know, something that I wanted marginally at this point. So it might not be worth the effort. Uh, so that's it for brag, except a little bit of grinding in central Gondor to earn some more rep items to farm out to other tunes. Um, he tends to be one of the hardiest and therefore quickest to do that in some of the more concentrated uh, Uruk camps that are out there. Uh, I did get some time in my in my Bjorning. He is now level 55, I believe. So right on the cusp of starting some of the Mori instances. Could have already done the uh, Forgotten Treasury. And, uh, you know, probably look for a group to do that soon. Have not had an opportunity to, but starting Moria instances. So very excited to get him into grouping content in Moria at this point. Uh, the last area that he was really adventuring in was the Redhorn Loads. And 
Uh, I've been in the Redhorn loads since the Moria revamp, but this is the first time I kind of exhausted all the quests in that area. And I have to say, um, they did a really good job in there, I think. They added a lot of new content. Um, they punched it up graphically in some areas. They added some complexity to some of the platforms and, uh, and you know, tunnels and overhangs. And uh, I had a lot of fun. You know, Redhorn loans has always been one of my favorite zones in Moria. Uh, just love looking down from the Orc Watch or from the Gate of Ruin down across the cavern and looking at all the little buildings in the distance. And then when you get down there, there's lots, you know, fun little maze to navigate with, uh, you know, good concentration of mobs and some good quests. So I did notice on the east end of the map they have some new mushrooms and mini bosses that kind of glow with, uh, you know, interesting atmospheric effects. They've uh, done additional development on the Grodbeg Caverns on the southern part of the map. There's a new quest uh, in the center of the map to find um, a number of different forges that the orcs are using around the different Redhorn Loads areas. Uh, there's new quests, two new quest hubs in there um, to give you closer access to, uh, so that you don't have to run all the way back to the Orc Watch. Um, interestingly enough, there is a new passage to Nud Melek on the northeast side of the map. So the, the way I found this was not by finding it through the Redhorn Loads, but I was running around through Nudmelek to try to get to the balcony, Budkill Beckon, which is the last uh, geographic area needed for the Redhorn Loads deed to find all locations. And that was always kind of an interesting suicide run if you were, you know, a less hardy character. The, the Bjorning did not have an issue with it, but... Uh, I did notice that it wasn't down the passageway I expected. I remember, you know, it's kind of a windy way back there. You can get lost, but I'm pretty sure they changed the passage because when I went down the passage I thought it was, I ended up on a path that led me down into the Redhorn Loads, which you could never do before. Um, so the passage to Bud Kilbeckin has been moved further off to the right, and now I'll probably struggle to find it with my next character too. As soon as you get used to something and have it down, right? Um... I did also notice as uh, as my uh, Bjorning made his way through through that area and up northwards into Zudmelik um, and into Balance Camp that the Riddle game, which used to be um, in between the uh, Silvertine Loads and the Waterworks in the Lost City down there, has been moved to the Balance Camp area, uh, which I thought was interesting. The other uh, difference I noticed is um, as you get down to the Grodbeg area in the Redhorn Loads, there's a quest that you get sometimes called Kalfi's Quest, which Kalfi is a dwarf who met a miserable end in the Redhorn Loads. And you find one of his relatives who asks you to go to every major hub in Moria and drink a, dr drink a draft to his memory. And, you know, I always remember, you know, picking up that quest and kind of finding the tankards as I go, and I'd get like eight out of nine, and I, I wouldn't be able to remember which one I'd missed, and I'd have to go and visit all the areas again. Well, they changed this quest in a major way, because now as soon as you drink the first drink in the Red Horn Loads, right next to the quest giver, you pass out, and you wake up in the next hub. And when you drink that tankard, you pass out again, you wake up in the next hub, and it basically ports you all over Moria. This is a really interesting difference. It's certainly a lot easier to finish the quest than it was before. It's kind of handed to you on a silver platter, which I don't agree with uh, personally in terms of my own play preference. But the useful thing is that if you get that quest early enough in your progression around Moria, uh, it can instaport you around to some of the major stables in the game that you might not have found yet. And... Uh, um, it's a quick way to get all your stables mapped around the game. So if you have a new character in Moria, if you can 
find your way all the way down to um, the Redhorn Loads. Granted, not easy to do if you haven't been there before. But before exploring other areas, and you can pick up the Calfi quest, you can map a lot of the stables around Moria easily that way and maybe save yourself some time. Uh, lastly, with my Bjorning, I did um, the session play. Uh, that's part of the epic quest line where you are um, Ori, and it's uh, it's basically the attack that the war the dwarves do over the bridge of Kazadum, where they're driven back to the twenty first hall, and eventually into the um, the chamber of Marzable. Uh, you guys may all remember that session play. It's pretty dramatic, and it's uh, you know certainly you get to kill a lot of orcs before you get drowned. So uh, before you eventually get overcome. Spoiler alert. Uh, what I did interesting this time, one of the interesting parts of that quest is, of course, the Bridge of Kazadum is intact in that in that map for that session play. It's the only time you can cross the Bridge of Kazadum in Moria uh, without issue, I believe, that I can remember. And just on a lark, as I was standing at the top of the bridge, I decided, as I was session playing Ori, that I would jump over the side just to see what would happen. And, uh, of course, my character died, and I failed the session play and had to start it over. But as I looked in the chat window, uh, I saw the message that said, the attacker scored a hit with self-smite on Brar uh, for, on my character's name for 498,412,544 common damage to morale. So <laughs> I've gotten hit in this game pretty hard before. Uh, you know, one-shotters from the Ettenmoors come to mind and... You know, maybe from the one-shotters that were in uh, Mirkwood at one point before you were allowed to cross over. Uh, you know, some other areas jumping into, you know, maybe the Pool of Acid and Cardoom. I, I can't ever remember being hit for 498,412,544 common damage to morale. So uh, I wonder if anyone else out there, any other readers, tried that on a lark and got a similar result. It was kind of amusing. Uh, what else have we been doing in game? Well, my minstrel ran the hell of spider wing. Um, we were trying to get challenge mode, uh, which is when you're on the final boss, which is a giant spider, of course. Um, you can't kill the last wave of Angmorum adds until the boss is dead. And what, someone in our party uh, AoE'd a bit too much. Uh, see previous episode regarding combat mechanics on AoE. And killed one of the Angmorum. And so we all ran out of the room to reset so that we wouldn't lose challenge mode. Uh, but when we restarted again, challenge mode was not available to us. Uh, so, I mean, it was up on our menu, but it was not something that uh, it didn't get triggered when we won the fight. So at that point, we just killed everything and moved on. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that can happen sometimes when you're doing boss raid resets. Uh, one of the perils of raiding. Uh, Minstrel also ran a six-man Gear run and actually got... Uh, in one run, got three usable jewelry pieces, teals that were 195 level, one of them with um, an essence slot in it, and uh, a yellow or a gold essence. Uh, I believe it was tactical, either tactical mastery or tactical mitigation. I can't remember which one. Oh, maybe it was critical defense, a yellow essence of critical defense, which I popped in the ring that I just won. Uh, so that was a pretty productive big battle run. Again, if the rewards are worth it, they will run the content. Um, I did cave in on this character and went to the skirmish, the skirmish camp and bought a bunch of rep accelerators for questing in central Gondor. 
Um, so if you're wondering which barter vendor in the skirmish camps f provide that, it's in the, I want to say it's the Curiosities vendor, or the one right next to it, um, which has the all the rep items that are available. And if you scroll down through the rep items at the bottom, you'll find the rep accelerator. And the rep accelerators are a pretty good deal. For 60 marks and 6 medallions, uh, you can double up your reputation for 1,000 apiece. Um, so I think I needed something like 20,000 or 40,000 rep across three different areas uh, to get Kindred on um, the last areas that I need. So buying 20 of those rep accelerators will make that go twice as fast. And given, you know, I don't have a, a ridiculous pile of marks and medallions like I've heard from some other characters out there, but it's pretty decent, and it re this really didn't put a dent in it. So... I consider it a pretty good use of marks and medallions. Uh, so speaking of the rep areas, um, I am kindred now in Ringlow Vale and Lanier and have only um, to go from ally to kindred for Dor Airneal um, in order to finish the vanguard of Central Gondor Deed and, and attain another first stage level 100 symbol. Um, so I imagine I should have that in the next few days, hopefully by next week. So one thing I did notice with my menstrual as I've been uh, moving around the map in central Gondor, she's certainly a lot squishier than my main tank. <laughs> so if I'm going into a big orc camp to do a daily, uh, on my guard I would just ride into the middle of the camp, circle around one of the campfires, getting as many guys as I could, drop off my horse, and start to go to work. And I can't do that on my mini. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I can't just ride into any camp, typically. Um, I've got to dismount before the entrance and carefully start to work my way in through the edges, slaying as I go, um, so as not to land a group of four. Um, so groups of four are bad, groups of three are less good, typically in my experience. Uh, I can handle four, it's tough, but I can handle it if I can get a fear off on one of them early enough and hit all my cooldowns. Uh, but, uh, you know, at least in redline mode, which is the quicker DPS stands for minstrels, um, I try to get groups of three, and it's easy to do that if you come up to a campfire that more around it. If you use your, um, I always forget the name of the skill, but it's uh, it's it's the sleepy dream by skill for minstrels that uh, lets everybody kind of have a dimmed perception of those around them, so that you can aggro them one at a time. Uh, very handy. One of my favorite skills in the minstrel tree, actually. And I'm glad that never got nerfed or removed because uh, it's fun when it works and handy. Um, and probably underused by most folks, I would imagine. Um, so my minstrel also uh, was trying to take down the warband Derek in central Gondor uh, in the Dorianiel area. He's the, the one solo warband that's out there. He's a single guy, Haradrim running around the fields there. And... Normally, if he was all I had to fight, it wouldn't be a problem. But the problem on the minstrel is that uh, as I'm riding in circles, DPSing Derek, uh, we have uh, two skills on our Warsteed uh, bar that are 55-meter range kind of blasts. <laughs> and uh, if you set one of those off, it basically brings everything running in a huge circle around you. So all of a sudden, instead of dealing with Derek, you're dealing with, like, you know, a Hendrival, uh, a Wolf, two other Skirm Riders, you know, and Derek. And at that point, you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, you know, it's time to drop off your horse and see if you can, um, you know, see if you can hit your, your, uh, 
your uh, sleeping skill to, to get rid of folks as, as quickly as you can. Um, so I actually died a couple times trying to get Derek, and it's definitely very possible with the menstrual. As a matter of fact, it could probably maybe even do it better on another stance, but I'm stubborn. I'm going to try it again with the red and just try to get him in an area that's not quite as densely populated before I start tacking, and also maybe be a little more careful or selective about the war steed skills I pick. Um, if you have uh, one of those skills on your war steed, you, you know what I mean. It, that Doraneal area, I think, is the most densely packed uh, mounted combat riding area of any in the game that I have seen. So it's very dangerous to use those skills. Uh, what else? One more funny note on the Minstrel. Found a bug this week that I would never report in a million years because it's fun. I hope they don't fix it. I uh, was doing the daily to fish pike out of uh, the docks on Pilar Gear and fishing, and I noticed that I happened to be in war, uh, war speech stance, and I noticed that as I pulled the fishes out of the water, they were glowing like my hands. <laughs> this is the best bug ever. Glowy fish? Come on, that's cool. Um, so I verified by taking off war, steed stan uh, war speech stance that the fish do not glow, and then I put it back on, and the fish I pulled out of the river were glowing. So if you're in war speech stance as a minstrel, you can fish for radioactive fish, which is kind of cool. I just, you know, have a programming background. I'm having trouble imagining the systems interaction that would be required in this instance from a programming standpoint to get the fish to glow on the end of the, the fishing pole just because I'm in war speech mode and my hands are glowing. Very strange indeed. Um, interesting one. I'd love to see the source of that bug and how, how that could be avoided. But in the meantime, enjoy your radioactive fish. Uh, on my cappy, I ran two wings of Tower of Orthanc this past week, the Electricity Wing and Fire and Frost. And my experience, Electricity Wing at level 100 is kind of a, a joke. You can pretty much just tank and spank your way through it. Um, you know, it's with a group that, although we were all level 100, they were being extremely careful, like making assignments, uh, you know, and talking about stance and positioning and you know eating food and how we were going to recover if something went wrong and and i'm all for talking strategy I, I like instances where that are challenging where you need strategy but this is not one of them if you're level 100 in the 75 75th level tower of orthanc you know maybe give some basic instructions for people that haven't been there before certainly so they can learn the raid the right way but, I mean, spending 10 to 15 minutes talking about a fight before it starts when, you know, it's really going to be kind of a, a laugher. Um, yeah, I thought that was excessive. But anyway, so we got that elect electricity wing done. Now, here was more of a challenge in Fire and Frost. They came in, and the raid group leader um, had a totally different strat than I'd see used in that room in the past. And, you know, there are more than one ways to skin a cat, so I did what they asked. And we failed, I think, two, three times. And I kept saying, you know, I've done this differently before. I've, you know, I've been over here and we've, you know, made sure not to attack the Grims on the other side of the room because if you cross over, you get blasted and you've got to do corruption removal on the bosses. You can't let them build that up and blah, blah, blah. But they weren't listening to me. So uh, I would have stuck with it. Um, you know, I hate leaving groups or, you know, I don't rage quit groups typically, but it's actually very late at night. And I eventually had to uh, call, it a, call it a day because it was just taking way too long. So uh, I know Fire and Frost, I think, got harder again after they made some changes to it recently. Um, before the next time I do the fight, I'll probably have to read up on the strat because um, I think I know how to do it. But based on the struggles we were having as level 100s, 
Uh, I think our raid party listener leaders were missing something. Aside from that, the Cappy is now the recipient of my reputation and task item overflows in Central Gondor. So I don't know if I'm going to run him through all the reputation factions there, but I'll see what else catches my fancy. I think I'm more likely to uh, do instances on my Bjorning. That could be my next project. Loremaster, Hunter, Burglar, RK, Warden, Champ, Nerp. Didn't get any love. But speaking of love... I love our next beacon, Aralas. Yes, you can vote for that. Worst segue of the year title. Um, all right, so let's talk about some other podcast updates and goings-on that I've seen out there. Um, I'm sure that many of you out there have been consumers of a podcast that I highly recommend uh, called Contains Moderate Peril which is uh, headed by a gentleman named Roger Edwards, as well as uh, guest hosts Crorain and Brian. And this is a podcast in the past is focused on uh, MMORPGs, uh, the gaming industry in general, entertainment, pop culture, uh, cosplay events, and also quite a focus on movie reviews uh, of all shapes and sizes, new movies, classic movies, horror genre movies, things of that nature. Uh, Roger's very knowledgeable, and the podcast has always been very entertaining for me. Uh, recently, at the end of last year, Roger announced that they were discontinuing the Contains Moderate Apparel podcast uh, to give things a break and focus on other things. Um, I guess he felt that it was you know, kind of a, a good time to kind of reevaluate what he wanted to do with the, the website and the time that he spent on podcasting. Um, he does promise to continue to blog throughout the new year, and I do recommend you, uh, you know, getting on his RSS feed for his blog. It's very entertaining. Uh, but I will miss the Contains Moderate Peril podcast, which has been a stalwart in my rotation of podcasts out there for quite some time. And uh, who knows, maybe after a break, he'll decide to return. Um, we will see. But I just wanted to say thank you to Roger Corrin and Brian for all the entertainment they've brought me over the last couple of years and wish them well. Uh, secondly, Lotro Academy, is, which has been on hiatus for uh, several months now, uh, was kind of wondering what had happened to that uh, podcast, uh, came back and came back strong this week with their 100th episode, and I was actually listening to it today. I did not finish it, so I've not been, can't comment on the 100th episode in detail. Uh, apart from saying that uh, I'm glad to see those guys uh, back and uh, hopefully plugging away. I did uh, one of Brannock's goals was to uh, be consistent in podcasting this year. So um, glad to hear that. Special thanks to Lotro Academy. I'll mention again that uh, they had me on their Legendary Items episode. I think it was either early last year or maybe even the year before. Uh, two episodes where we covered legendary items in quite a bit of detail. I think it was three or four hours, kind of a mega podcast, given the complexity of the subject. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's what incited me to decide to start my own podcast, but certainly was a very positive experience that probably moved it in that direction. And I want to thank them again for the opportunity they gave me to do that and to wish them well. And uh, congratulations and thanks uh, for their 100th episode. Uh, next I did note that Lotro Players News uh, announced uh, probably about a week and a half, two weeks ago now, the departure of two of their hosts, Ethel Rose and Sithrith, 
um, with new hosts to come uh, that will be replacing them in the coming weeks. And one of the things I've always liked about Lotro Players News is, you know, quite a different variety of hosts, all with differing opinions, different gameplay styles, um, you know, different personalities. And, you know, as, as uh, Mike and Mike sometimes say, what makes them different makes them great. Um, so I was sad to see Sithrith and Ethel Rose go. Uh, on the podcast where they announced their departure, there were various comments including a particular listener who did not care for their contributions and was glad they were leaving. So I did want to mention this real quick because I do believe everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Uh, obviously, a podcast of this nature you can choose to listen to or not at your own discretion. But can we please acknowledge a little bit of reality here? You know, everyone who runs a podcast does it for, you know, not to become a millionaire, although... You know, obviously the goal is piling up for me here at LTB World Middle Earth White Headquarters. But they do it for a love of the game and a desire to share that with others in the community. Or if you're a dwarf because you like to hear the sound of your own voice. But there is absolutely zero cause to be mean-spirited about feedback in this scenario. So let's keep it, as I often call it, to constructive critique. The Lotro community is better than that. I know they are. And Sithrith and Ethel Rose can be assured that their contributions have been appreciated wholeheartedly by the ever-present silent majority that is out there, as in addition to all the folks that chimed in to thank them for uh, their time. Um, certainly, they deserve better. Um, you know, we have lost podcasts in the past, like Lotrocast. Uh, you know, I'll make a plea to Alboros to return when he can, if he's interested in doing so at some point. I hope he is. Uh, through the Palantir, hope we have not seen the last of Ivanius and company, and that he's flying, flying straight, and and coming in safe for a landing in his training. Uh, obviously, casual stroll to Mordor ran its course, and uh, their host decided to do other things. But the lesson here is that our our gaming muses are fickle, and real life is unforgiving. If you appreciate a podcast, enjoy it while you can, and let the host know, because tomorrow is not promised to anyone. And that is nothing to be bitter about. It just is. Min Rimon. Now a, word from a quick word from our sponsors. Thought we'd get back to one of our oldest and most reliable sponsors. This episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by Barrow Brie. Barrow Brie, if you want a grilled cheese that will bring you to your knees, try Barrow Brie on your mac and cheese. It makes a hobbit tummy fill up with glee and poison. Our sixth beacon is at hand. Let's light her up. Kalanhad. In Kalanhad this week, another installment in our ongoing series on combat mechanics. So this week we're going to talk a little bit about bleeds and dots. More dots, more dots, 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 lots more dots. Okay, if, if you're out there and you've never heard that quote, uh, you might want to go to YouTube if you're of age and you enjoy MMORPGs and rating, and look up more dots. <laughs> I think the actual uh, video name is called Anixia Wipe Animation, and it's rather amusing. It's got some rough language, so if you're younger, please skip it. But uh, for those of you of age, it is rather amusing if you've not, not seen it before. So another useful thing to understand about your melee skills is which of them create bleeds or dots. Uh, DOT stands for damage over time versus just plain upfront damage. 
So every time I do a combat mechanic, I go back to the same refrain. Read your tooltips. <laughs> Understand which skills do what. Uh, just button mashing will get you only so far in the game. It'll get you through PvE, but no farther. Uh, and even in PvE, occasionally it can get you into trouble. So damage over time skills are often useful to apply early on in a fight to attain maximum DPS, damage per second output. Some skills, like, for example, the minstrel's Echoes of Battle, make the target less resistant to follow-up attacks as well by applying a debuff, in this case to light damage, uh, light damage of which the minstrel has plenty that should be forthcoming. So this is really the best, the best combo there is to, to get a debuff and DPS going at the same time. Typically, in any DPS rotation that I have in a fight where I'm serious about things because, you know, maybe it's a bit more challenging, I look to apply debuffs first, then bleeds, then high single DPS attacks. Uh, another example, the Guardian's Thrust is a damage over time skill. And in this case, it's one that, although this has changed with the new class trait builds, but at one point, there was a linked skill to it called Salt the Wound that would turn it from a small dot into a bigger dot. And so lots of times these damage over time effects can have interactions with other skills uh, to make them more effective. Uh, for example, the Hunter's Barbed Arrow uh, damage over time skill uh, can be converted to a DPS burst with a skill called Scourging Blow. So the best thing to do when you have an interactive skill like this, if possible, if you've got time and the, and the mob's got plenty of morale, is to let the dot burn through as many pulses as it has until it's about to disappear. You can tell it's about to expire by looking at the uh, damage over time icon under the, uh, the mob's portrait, right? Whenever you put a, a dot on a mob, you should see uh, a corresponding icon underneath their portrait indicating the damage over time. And you, of course, see the repeated uh, red damage numbers appearing over their head, usually smaller than the single attack ones that you'll be doing at the same time. Um, so when that icon is blinking, that means the dot's about to expire. So if you have a skill that does interaction, like a scourging blow for a hunter, that caches out the, the dot for a big, big uh, impact, that's the best time to do it if the timing works out. Um, there was also a change several releases ago where uh, there was a fix in the game where damage over time effects... Uh, became more effective because they took on the damage type of the weapon that caused them. So for a long time in the game, if you did, uh, let's say, a Western S sword attack against a mob, the initial attack would have the benefits of the Western S damage type, uh, but the follow-on damage over time pulses would be common damage, which would limit their effectiveness. Um, so several releases ago, that was fixed, and the damage type of damage over time effects now takes on the damage type of the original weapon that caused them, which makes them more effective. So let's talk about some classes' trademark uh, damage over time skills. Uh, almost all classes have them. Some are more heavily loaded than others. Typically, the DPS classes in the classic Trinity will have the most. Uh, so a minstrel example, the Echoes of Battle, um, is one that I try to put on a mob up front, again, because it's a combination debuff damage over time effect. 
And uh, I always put that, you know, I don't put that on maybe a single landscape mob that doesn't have a lot of morale that's going to die in three or four attacks. But anything that's going to take longer than four attacks, I put an echo of battle up uh, to begin with to eat away. Um, the Hunter. The Hunter has Barbed Arrow. Uh, they have a new skill as of the last class updates called Exsanguinate. And they have Low Cut. Low Cut, I think, is an underrated Hunter skill. Um, you know, I know a lot of people say when the Hunter gets in melee, they're in trouble. But if you use a Low Cut, you can hit up to seven targets with bleeds and puts a slow on them, which allows you to back up and get some more room for your next uh, ranged attack. So low cut is one of my favorites, and especially in the moors when you're trying to tag a bunch of mobs that are surrounding you in a big circle. Uh, the captain. The captain has a brave wound as well as a noble mark. Uh, noble mark is helpful when the captain is uh, trying to do tanking because it's got a steady DPS bleed. Remember that uh, DPS also equals aggro. So anytime you have, you're maximizing your DPS through the use of bleeds, you're helping, uh, you're helping increase your aggro. Uh, in some cases, you might want to do that. In some cases, you might not want to do that. So you need to be aware of that. Um, you know, in the case of an, a mob that does an aggro wipe, you know, which happens a lot in raids, if there's an aggro wipe and, uh, you know, you have a bleed on that mob and it's the first thing that hits him after the aggro wipe, he's going to be on you. So that be, might be something to keep in mind depending on the fight that you're in. The Bjorning has Slash, Biting Edge, and Bash that I've found so far. Um, you know, I will go through and say that as you, you change uh, class trait lines for some of these mobs, blue, red, or yellow, uh, your skills are going to change, and in some cases you might add or subtract um, damage over time skills. Uh, you know, generally speaking, I used to know the all the classes better, but since they all changed over, generally in each class I play, I know one trait line really well and one pretty well, and the third probably not at all. <laughs> so there could be other damage over time skills for these classes. I'm just naming the ones that I'm familiar with right now. Uh, the Loremaster's bread and butter, Burning Embers, which can also be amplified uh, using legacies. Uh, the RK, Fiery Ridicule, Distracting Flame, and Flurry of Words. The champion, of course, has Rend, at least in the red line build that I'm using. My, my champion is fairly low level still, uh, just on the cusp of 40, so I'm sure they get additional ones over time. But Rend is kind of the basic one that you can depend on from the beginning of the game. Uh, Warden, of course, has some kind of mystic gambit bull jargon junk that uh, nobody cares about. That uh, Lou Dots, of course. And then uh, the Guard, uh, Sweeping Cut, Brutal Assault, and Thrust. Uh, Brutal Assault, I believe, added a bleed. Did not originally have one when it first came out. Um, and, of course, the Guard Red Line was enhanced in terms of the bleed mechanics with the new class trait upgrades to be very significant. So... In some more complex skills, bleeds or dots can be cashed in for a payout, and guard is a good example. So once you've built up um, bleeds on mobs as a guard, um, you can tier them up until they reach level 10. And depending on the tier, you can use one of two skills, overwhelm or honorable combat, to cash out on those bleeds. So uh, the overwhelm skill will turn the bleeds into a massive DPS spike, and the honorable combat skill will ta will turn the bleeds into um, a major heal for the guard. So depending on the situation, whether you want to try to knock a mob out of the fight or uh, sustain yourself to keep the fight going, those can be very useful. They do wipe the slate clean for bleeds on the target that they're used on. So 
you need to build from scratch at that point. Something to keep in mind. Um, but if you're putting bleeds in a bunch of mobs and you're only cashing out for a heal on one of them, that can be very effective if all the others still have theirs going. Uh, the Berg has Cunning Attack, and this is an example where Cunning Attack is available in all stances, but, for example, if you're uh, running in the Gambler's trait line for Burglar, you get two additional bleeds, um, the Gambler's Advantage, and uh, any gamble that you do, of course, is a random effect on the, on the mob, but one of the random effects that's available is a Damage Over Time bleed. So, um, of course, mobs and creeps have bleeds as well. And, uh, you know, most of the time in PvE environment, you can ignore those. But uh, given that we have pots as well as a um, debuff removal skill on each class now, it's usually pretty easy to get rid of those. Um, more intricate is, you know, and in raids, the, the dots can be quite nasty, requiring immediate removal to avoid issues um, with the fight. You know, more intricate is when... Uh, damage over time effect is linked to a specific geographical area, i.e., don't stand in the poop. You know, typically those have a visual cue where you'll be, you'll have a dot on you whenever you're standing within the circle or the square, and if you back out of that area, the dot will disappear without you having to use a, a potion or a, a debuff removal. As a matter of fact, when they're linked to a geographical area, those debuff removal skills will not work. Only removing yourself from the area will. So some examples of that. Um, the fire wave that moves around the foundry in instance in Isengard uh, has a geographical damage over time effect that you have to move out of the area of effect in order to remove it. Uh, disease pools that appear in the 16th hall during the second boss fight. Uh, acid pools in the acid wing uh, Tower of Orthanc. This is one of the most interesting ones in that the relief from the pools is only in the third dimension. That is... Um, there's no specific area that you have to move out of rather than you have to move above the area of the effect by jumping uh, repeatedly out of the acid in order to avoid it building up to a point where it will one-shot you. Uh, which is, by the way, one of my favorite mechanics in raids. Uh, I thought that was hilarious the first time I was in there watching the whole party jumping around in circles. Uh, the turtle fight, perhaps the most done raid in the game, is another good example of a damage over time effect. Um, both for your tanks as well as inescapably for the whole party. So in the turtle fight, there is a damage over time effect that builds up on whatever tank has aggro with the turtle. So back in the day when the, the turtle was not just a sp uh, tank and spank fight, you needed to switch aggro between the two guards, or, uh, between the two tanks in the party to avoid the, um, the dot building up to a level that uh, you know, could not be healed. And uh, while one tank took aggro, the other one would let the dot dissipate, and they would have to let it go completely before they got back into the fight, or it would renew. And then um, that fight is a DPS race because the entire group has a dot that builds on it over time as well that eventually gets too uh, difficult to heal through. Um, so that's uh, another dot effect that's not dispellable. So what else impacts dots? Um, you know, if you're working on a bleed build for your character, you typically want to look for legacy scrolls that can either extend or amplify the dot over time pulses. So most classes have legacies and their legendary items which allow them to increase the number of pulses for bleeds and or increase the effectiveness of bleeds, you know, 25% damage increase on bleeds. Uh, 
Bragg when uh, just obtained one of the two of the armor pieces in Dol Amroth when uh, had a set bonus which increased bleeds uh, on the character either 10 or 15 percent. And there was also an essence scroll, I believe, from the barter vendors in Central Gondor once you had reached Kindred Rep, which allowed you to increase bleeds as well using an essence on one of your pieces of armor. So uh, those can be very effective. Um, okay, so when are dots a bad idea? Yes, there are times when dots are a bad idea. And the most obvious one is when you're going to kill a mob before the dot is going to run through all of its pulses and really do its time. That, at that point, you're, you're wasting pulses and you're probably wasting time by using dot skills instead of single DPS attacks, which you know, might have higher spike damage initially. Um, but there are also some raid mechanics that make dots a very bad idea. For example, uh, in the Great Barrow, uh, I believe it's the maze, there's a fight where um, there are two twins at the end and um, you have to separate them and burn one down and this is a, f a mechanic that I've seen elsewhere in the game as well uh, once it gets to once the mob the boss gets to a certain morale tier level it puts up a shield and every time you hit the shield at that point um, it'll heal the mob for a pretty major percentage of its health so basically when the shield's up, the tank or whoever else is watching has to call out shield and everybody has to stop DPS immediately because every attack that happens once the shield up is going to uh, heal the mob for like 10, 20, 25% of its health. So three or four attacks and it's back up to health, full health, and everything that you've done up to that stage is wasted. Um, so it requires a lot of control from the raid party and communication um, in order to avoid that. Uh, the other boss that comes to mind that has the mechanic in Darnabagood, there's a boss called, I think his name is Flaggett, um, where he has the same mechanic. It's a shield, everyone's beating on him, and when the shield's up, you have to stop immediately. And if one guy is a couple seconds over, bing, 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 he's back up to full health and you're starting from scratch. And if you have that happen enough times, you can get really frustrated. <laughs> so why is the bleed a bad idea in a fight like this because once the shield is up the bleed keeps ticking <laughs> and every pulse of that bleed is going to build the health back up on the boss so when you're in those fights where that uh, that shield mechanic exists you have to know which of your skills have bleeds and avoid them uh, specifically if you're ever going to get through that fight and it only takes one class who doesn't know a certain skill has a bleed on it uh, to make that fight impossible there's also some fights out there in different raids where you need to keep a boss at a certain health level before killing him. Like when uh, you need to kill two bosses within a few seconds of each other for challenge mode. Um, in Hod Valandal, I think is the name of the one that has uh, tree gardens up the top in Anuminus. I might be getting the name of the answers wrong. I always mix those up. But the one with the tree gardens, the hanging... Uh, balcony tree gardens at the top uh, at the end fight you need to kind of kite all the ads around in a circle while you burn down the boss and after the boss is dead you have to kill all the ads within like 10 or 15 seconds if you want to win challenge mode so having um, having very tight control on the DPS that's being put on the boss can be important in that air at time so that as soon as the boss is dead you're ready to bring in all the ads whoever's kiting is, is already kind of headed into the middle and if you if you have a bleed burning down you know the raid boss says okay stop all DPS 
and the bleed keeps ticking and kills the boss and no one's ready for the next phase. Um, I think there's a, a pair of bosses in the Lost Temple in the first boss fight in the Lost Temple that also have a similar mechanic where you, you have to burn them down at the same time. Uh, in the instance the Foundry, if you uh, kill one boss and leave the other up for too long, he'll um, you know build and rage and eventually start one-shotting folks too. So um, you know when it comes to DPS control, burns can be burns or dots can be bad. Uh, on the good juju for dot side. Uh, there can be PvP impact for dots. Obviously, they can be helpful whenever you're trying to burn anyone down. But there used to be a use, and I think this is still the case, um, if you want to keep a warg or a berg from hipsing in the moors and disappearing out of sight, it used to be important to put um, a bleed on those targets because they would hips, and the bleed would immediately turn them back to, um, to being fully visible. Now, I think they amended those skills to give them a little more leeway so that... Um, so that uh, bleeds would not immediately turn them back, but I, I still believe they can be used to that effect. So if you're a PvPer and, and know how that behavior has changed, uh, write into the show and let me know. But at one point, putting a bleed on a warg was the surest way to make sure he would not disappear and lose your kill. So that's our segment on bleeds and dots. Probably more than you ever thought you'd need to know. And uh, if you're a viewer out there... I don't think we have any viewers. If you're a listener out there, uh, hopefully that was helpful to you. Which brings us to our seventh beacon, Halifirian. Ah, a rather, a rather taut episode this week. That's what happens when you throw it together last minute. That brings us to the end of, oh, uh, 25th episode. Yes, I was going to do something special for it. Um, our quarterennial. Still not a word. Well, it'll have to wait. It's time for Blessed Relief. So I'd love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofballon at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for alabaster, the color of grimy skin. On our Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofballon or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request that you take the time to create an iTunes review. If perchance you are so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my dwarven apathy, well, I'll try to include them in the next podcast or respond in some way. So, I hope you laughed with me this week. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before. Probably not. Or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. Hopefully so. Most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. It's a good way to escape all the blizzards of life that are out there, especially if you're home from school. This is Bragg or work. This is Bragg, son of balance, signing off. Brukazad. And remember, the next time you escape from a close fight just to have the last few digs of your morale ebb away due to an open wound, don't despair. Use a wound pot for gosh sakes. But if you've got four or more of them, better light the beacons. Hey, Grima, a little faster with that palm frond if you don't mind. Uh, I'm getting some sun here, Tharic Bazan. There's a good sycophant. Ah, this is the life. We need some tunes. Where's the flock of Smeagols when you need them? So long, folks. Stay warm.